Well, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here uh, today, whether here in the pavilion, so glad that you've gathered to worship with us. Take your Bibles, if you would, if you have a copy of God's Word, and turn to Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. If you've got a phone or a Bible, whatever, uh, turn to that text as we walk through both of those this morning. We are walking through the book of Psalms until the end of the year, Lord willing. And we're going to take Psalm 22 and 23, I keep saying that, 42 and 43. Have I been saying 20 the whole time? I'm just about three months behind, so don't do that. Those are great chapters, Uh, but go to 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43, we're gonna preach them together because they go together. Both of these psalms are a song, and in a song, there is a chorus that is normally repeated, and one of the things you're gonna notice is that there is a chorus of this song repeated twice in Psalm 42, and if you go to the end of Psalm 43, the same chorus is repeated again, showing us that this really is one song with a chorus repeated three times, and we're gonna look at that in just a minute. Just a couple of years ago in 2018, there was a clinical study done by the University of Portsmouth which sought out to study something that people have long believed to be true, but never had evidence to be medically true. They begin to study a condition they call give up-itis, a real medical condition. The medical term is psychogenetic death. They had been seeing something that many of us have seen, as a pastor, I've seen it many times, where a person, because of a tragedy, or maybe a disappointment or a trauma in their lives have just come to the place in which they've given up. And after they get to that place in which they give up, it won't be long before they physically die. And people have seen this for years, but had never really done a study to see if there's something medically true about this, and they discovered that this actually is medically true. That it can be just days after a person decides in their mind that they're going to give up, that they will in fact die. They even found, as they researched hundreds of people in this condition, that there are different stages that people go through in this condition. It begins with withdrawal. They begin to withdraw from others. They begin to isolate themselves, and then apathy sets in. So they get apathetic about anything. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't do anything. And then all of a sudden, that leads to emotional numbness. So withdrawal and apathy and numbness. And it says that if they go through that cycle, that what they found is everyone that enters into that cycle that doesn't choose to get out of that cycle can in fact die. Now the most interesting thing they discovered is this. They didn't have to die. It's not that they were going to die, that because they had given up, that is what led to their death. And all of these cycles going through, every one of them, when they get to that place of emotional numbness, when they seem to just be done, they will die, but not because they had to, but because they stopped fighting and decided to give up. As I read that study, I I thought about as a pastor over the years, all of the people that I have met with and talked to and all the people that I've seen in the church and how many times I've seen soul give up itis. Maybe a disappointment, maybe a hurt. It may be something that happened in the past, some act of injustice against you. It may have been an illness or something happened in your life that began to affect your soul. And instead of doing something about it, what happens is we begin to withdraw. I often see it of people withdrawing from the church. Something happened in the church or something happened that made them disappointed in the church, so withdraw. They withdraw from the people of God and then they get apathetic. Their soul just stops fighting. 
And then there's an emotional numbness that comes. All of a sudden, those desires they used to have for the Lord, those desires aren't there anymore. And now there's just a sense of numbness. And if those things aren't taken care of, the truth is your soul will begin to die. There's some of you here this morning that are almost at that stage. There's a numbness in your soul. There's an apathy that is dwelling in your soul. You know that there has been a season of withdrawal. And it may be caused by all kinds of external circumstances that have then begun to affect your soul. And the reason we need Psalm 42 and 43 is because they not only show us the reality of this condition, but they show us how to fight our way out of it instead of giving up. So look at there, look at there, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 as I read these words for us. If you're there in Psalm 42, say amen. It says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As I'm reading this, by the way, just feel the emotion of the text. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now clearly from the repetition seven times of the same word, Psalm 42 and 43 is about the condition of your soul. Your soul, the part of you most often ignored, is in fact the most important part of you. It is the seat of your mind, emotions, and will. Everything that is coming out of you comes from your soul. You have a desire to fix anything around you. You begin not with the externals. You begin with the internals. You begin by taking care of your soul. God created us, body and soul, and those two things cannot be disconnected. If your soul is doing well, you're doing well. If your soul is not doing well, it's impossible for you to do well. The Bible tells us that because of sin, our souls died. 
There was no life inside of our souls. But when you come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, meaning you acknowledge your sin and that you deserve to be separated from God, and you realize that Jesus Christ died to take upon himself all of the sins that you've ever committed and pay the penalty that you deserve to, to pay, and you trust Jesus Christ alone as their savior, and you submit to him as the Lord of your life, what happens at that moment is this. By the very Holy Spirit of God, he takes your dead soul and he puts the life of his spirit in it. For the first time, your soul comes to life. Some of you have never experienced this. If you haven't trusted Christ, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, your soul is not alive. And what we're inviting you to this morning is to know what it's like to have your soul come alive by trusting Jesus. But even then, we have to battle for a healthy soul because there is a constant war being waged against our soul by the flesh, by the world, by the devil. Sometimes our souls just aren't doing it very well. Many of you know this story in 1871 during the Great Chicago Fire, a very well-known and famous wealthy businessman, Horatio Spafford, who spent the majority of his money supporting the ministry of great evangelist D.L. Moody, lost all of his business and his only son in that fire. Two years later, after losing everything he had and losing his only son, he then began to rebuild his wealth and he sent his wife and four daughters on a boat trip to England just for a little rest. He said, I've got to take care of a little more business. You go first and I'll meet you there. He got a telegram not too long after that from his wife with these simple words, saved alone. That on that trip, that ship collided with another ship and all four daughters died. His wife was the only one that left. He got on a boat. He made his way to England to meet his wife and while on that boat, watching the seas around him, knowing he had lost a son and his business, and now four daughters, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But here's my question. What do you do when you can't say, it is well with my soul? We sing songs like this a lot and we sing them loudly because they're familiar and we love them. We say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'm confident some of you sang those words this morning, but the reality is it's not going well with your soul. And that's why we need Psalm 42 and 43 because they show us that at times it is not well with our soul and even more importantly, it shows us how to fight for a satisfied soul. So this morning from this text, I wanted us to see both of those truths together. Sometimes our soul is not well, and then we must fight for a satisfied soul. So let's see those two things together. The first one is this. I would encourage you to write this down. Our souls are not always well. I love the Psalms, and I love the fact that they often speak to us where we are, not where we should be, and they remind us that sometimes our souls are not doing well, and you get that from that repeated chorus three times says in 42 verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He repeats the chorus again in verse 11. He repeats it again in chapter 43 verse 5. Hey soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? That phrase there, cast down, is a good one. It means to be bent over. It means to be depressed. It means to be distressed. Inside of him, things are not good. It may be that externally it looked okay, but his soul was not doing well. And then he says, why are you in turmoil around me? 
The King James Version used to say, why are you disquieted within me? That's a good translation because it talks about an anxiety in the soul. Instead of there being peace like a river, there's a lot of noise in the soul. There's a lot of confusion in the soul. There's not quiet. As a matter of fact, in chapter 42, verse 7, he says this, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It is the picture of sea billows rolling. And there's all of these sea billows that are rolling over me and bringing other sadness and difficulty and trials. And the psalmist is saying, those things have crashed upon my soul and my soul is not doing well. He says, I don't have the peace. I don't have the sense of God's presence. Everybody talks about the joy of the Lord. I don't have that right now. There's no rest inside my soul. It's not doing well. And you say, well, what happened? What What's going on? What, what has made your soul in this condition? And the psalmist tells us a lot about his life, and there's a lot of reasons why your soul can get in this position. He talks about the fact that there's some spiritual reasons his soul is not doing well. I mean, we often talk about verse 1. It's one of the more familiar verses in the psalms. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And we quote that and we talk about that as being an expression of our heart. But, but think about this. The fact that his soul is thirsty and the fact that his soul is panting means that he feels as if something's missing in his soul. There's a longing, there's a desire for something that is not there. I'm thirsty. My soul's dry. I'm, I'm panting. There's something missing. I'm going after you, but something's not right. He talks about that in verse 2. He says, when will I come and appear before God? Look at chapter 42, verse 9. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? God, where, where are you? 43, verse 2, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Now, for some reason, we don't understand exactly what's going on here, and no one seems to know, but the text is clear. For some reason, he hasn't been able to join the church in worship. We know that because of what he says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 42. He's been distant. Some people say maybe an extended physical illness, maybe a global pandemic. I don't know what it is, but for some reason he hasn't been at church and he's feeling dry already and his lack of being in church has made him not hear the songs and not hear the sermons and not be around the people. So he's just got some spiritual stuff going on and he's beginning to ask the question, God, where are you? Where, why have you forsaken me? You used to feel close and now you don't feel that anyway and so, anymore. And so now he's, he's feeling this spiritual disconnect. It seems there's some physical problems as well. Look what it says in verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. Now, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if this is the cause or the effect. Meaning, I don't know if because of the spiritual struggle in his life, the effect of that has been as he's weeping all night and he's not eating anymore and he's not sleeping anymore. Or I don't know if this is the cause. And what I would say is it's probably both. You know what I'm saying. The slippery slope of things aren't going well inside and then the result of that is you don't eat and then you begin to cry and when you don't eat and when you don't cry, you don't sleep and when you don't sleep and you don't eat and you cry a lot, you get more exhausted and things get worse and the feeling grows worse. And so I think what's happening here is these things are just piling on and in the midst of that, he's got all kinds of relational junk going on. He says in verse three, there's all these people saying to him, hey, where's your God? He says it again in verse 10. They say to me all day long, where is your God? 
He's got oppression. He's got adversaries. He's got enemies. In chapter 42 and 43, there are obviously people that have come against him, and there's some relational dysfunction going on. He's got this spiritual isolation, not with the church, this sense that God removed his presence and God is distant, these physical issues going on, these relational issues, and it all begins to to pile on. You know, one of the things I, I can't help but to think about here is it also could be just a little bit of his natural disposition. You know, you see this from time to time. There are some people that seem to me more predisposed to to times of sadness and difficulty and even depression. This is unquestionably true. You see it in the Old Testament. David seemed to struggle with this more than others. Jeremiah certainly seemed to struggle. Elijah, after his greatest moment, when he called down fire from heaven, went and sat under a tree and said, oh God, I'm no better than my father's. I just wanna die. He was totally depressed. Think about people like Martin Luther, the great reformer who had long seasons of difficulty and spiritual depression. You think about Charles Spurgeon, whose accounts and bouts of spiritual depression are well-documented months. He would go away to the sea to just breathe fresh air because his soul was so distraught and there could be some natural disposition that makes some of us more inclined to this than others. The truth is, those who may be more naturally disposed to this might see that as a curse I would say in some ways it could be a blessing because it wakes you up to the reality that your soul's not doing well. While some might just say, everything's great, everything's awesome, I'm just gonna move along. They might ignore the condition of your soul. Whatever it is, there seems to be this snowball effect where this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened. All of a sudden I find myself in a very difficult place and if you can't resonate with that, you're not being honest with yourself. It starts with something and then something else and something else. You just feel like it's all piling on. And here's what we tend to forget. Every one of these things I just mentioned to you are external things. Can't go to church, can't be with the people of God. People against me. The physical stuff that is going on around me. But listen, every single external circumstance is having some effect upon your soul. This is what we can't miss. We can't miss the fact that your soul is always under attack from every external circumstance. Because if we don't realize that, we will ignore our souls, try to fix all the externals, but we'll still never be okay. Most people do this. Most people ignore the soul and say, if I can just fix this or this or this, and it never works. Sometimes our souls are not just doing well. And it's helpful to be reminded that it can be a number of reasons, mostly external things, that those pressures of them come and bombarded our soul into the place that we cannot say any longer it is well with my soul. That's helpful. But what's most helpful is the realization from Psalm 42 and 43 that the psalmist recognized that, he understood that, he knew that his soul was not doing well, and instead of just passively taking that, he began to fight for a healthy soul. So that's the other side. The first truth we see is that sometimes our souls are not well, but the second truth we see is this, is that you must fight for a satisfied soul. Write that down. You've got to fight. You've got to fight for your soul. I love the fact that the feeling of this psalm is really not one of give up itis. It just feels like this person is just clawing his way back to hope. Like that's all he can do. I, I, I get this feeling, I'm not gonna do this, that he's lying on his stomach 
and he just, he can't get back up, but instead of just laying there and drowning, he's just clawing back. I know that God is good. I know that he is right. I know that this is going to pass. I know that I'm gonna praise the Lord again, so I'm just gonna claw my way back up. He's fighting. With any bit of strength he has left, he's fighting for his soul. My daughter, one of my daughters who's in fifth grade here at Prince Avenue Christian School is reading The Pilgrim's Progress right now. Probably, uh, apart from the Bible, the most important book ever written. I've never read anything that I read over and over and over again that continues to give me more insight on how the Christian life works. But she just brought up to me this week this idea of the slew of despond. Christian is making his way to the kingdom of God. He's plowing to heaven and he has all these burdens and fears and he steps into the slew of despond, this muddy pit, and he can't seem to get out of it. And instead of turning back and trying to get out the other way and instead of just drowning in it, he just slowly inches a little bit of progress and tries to get out. Finally, he meets the Lord and the burden is removed and he's able to get out. But it's just this simple fact that when that stuff starts to happen to your soul, you can either suffer from give up itis or you can decide, I'm gonna fight. I'm not, I'm not gonna take this. So the question is, well, well, how do we fight? Well, I've been reading Psalm 42 and 43 for two weeks and I boiled it down to three practical ways that we fight for a satisfied, healthy soul. The first one is this. First thing we do is we stop and ask. Write this down, this is practical. This is specific things that we do to fight for our souls. We stop and ask. He feels, in verse nine of 42, that God has forgotten him. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? But look at the verse before that. I love this about the psalmist. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. His song is with me in the night. I'm remembering his steadfast love, his covenant love for me, that he will never leave me and forsake me. And in the next verse he says, God, why have you forgotten me? Here's the thing. He knows that it's not true, but he feels this way. We talk about this all the time. He knows that God has not forgotten him, but he feels as if God has forgotten him. And when he feels this way, he stops and acknowledges that it's a reality. He just stops and says, wait a minute. I know I got all these externals. My soul's not doing well. So I'm gonna stop and ask the question, why? I was, I was mowing the lawn yesterday and I get my most profound thoughts while mowing the lawn. I lose them all when I have to weed eat. But when I'm mowing the lawn, Profound thoughts. I was thinking about the amount of people that come to me for help and counsel, and I love it, and it's, uh, it's a joy for me to help you in that way, and I, I, wanted, I wanna continue to do that, but I just thought about the fact that over the years, how few people have ever come to me and ask about their soul. They ask about this problem and this problem and this problem. Pastor, this is a problem and this is a problem, and sometimes we need to talk about those problems I'm thinking about how rarely someone has come and said, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong, but something's, something's wrong in here. My soul is not doing well. And so I began to wonder on my zero turn why this was, why people weren't asking me about their souls. And I thought, first of all, because people just aren't thinking about their souls. I mean, how much did you think about your soul this week? With all the external junk, did you realize that all that external stuff is going to affect your soul? And did you also realize that how your soul is doing is gonna determine everything else? Your attitudes, your action, how you're doing to your family, the kids at work, all that is coming out of your soul. 
I just think a lot of people just don't think about their soul. If I can fix this problem, this problem, this problem, I'm gonna be okay. It doesn't work that way. We change from the inside out, never from the outside in. But I think maybe another problem is this. We just tend to keep ourselves distracted from our soul. So we know something's not right. What do we do? We pick up the phone. What do we do? We get on Facebook. What do we do? We turn on a game. We, we just continue to do anything we can to ignore what's happening in here. Instead of stopping and saying, I'm not right. I'm not doing well. And I'm gonna stop ignoring it. I'm gonna stop and ask, what's going on, God? Why do I feel this way in my soul? For some of you, it's because you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's never gonna be right until you come to that place. Some of you have just allowed all of the things around you to come inside. And maybe you spent a week, a month, a year growing in more withdrawal and apathy and numbness because you've stopped fighting. I thought of a great illustration of this early this morning, and I wasn't gonna tell you because it makes me look like an idiot, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. It's humbling for me. Came home from work the other day, and Andrea just looks at me in her kind way and says, what's wrong with you? I just had a little, I was grumpy, you know. And um, I don't know, I knew something was wrong, but I, I really didn't know what was wrong, and I didn't answer, I just thought about it. I thought, well, what is wrong with me? I'm obviously not in a good mood here, and obviously others are noticing it. So, uh, I mean, this is rare. It's like once every five years. But um, I just thought something's not right. And then all of a sudden, I had a thought that I don't think I'd ever had before. I knew exactly what was wrong with me, and here's what it was. I said, I feel sorry for myself because I've worked hard. I've had a hard week, and I come home, and no one else feels sorry for me, and I'm mad about it. You know you felt that way. Don't be condescending towards me. You've all gone home and thought, I wish everyone would stop for like 30 minutes and just feel bad for me. You felt, I know you felt that way. Man, you're the worst at this. I just, I just mad. And what I realized is this, is thankfully I have a wife that doesn't let me wallow in self-pity. Like the greatest gift God has ever given me. She didn't just pander, what's wrong, what's wrong with you? And then as I stopped and began to think and articulated it, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm the problem. Like, I'm mad at everybody else because I didn't walk in and everybody go, Dad, you've done so great. We just and pandered. No, I'm, my attitude was the problem. But had she not asked me the question and had I not stopped and thought about it, I would have never come to that realization. And what I realized is that we fail to do this with ourselves. Why, what's going on with you right now? Like, why are you feeling that way? And our emotions are a window into our soul. Why am I so angry right now? Like, why am I so grumpy right now? Why am I so irritable right now? There's something in the soul. So stop and ask, what's going on in my soul? And the truth is this, is that God often brings us to these moments so that we will actually stop and ask the question, what's going on with our soul? We stop and ask. But the second way we fight is this. We go after God. We go after God. So our natural inclination in these moments is to get into this give up itis, whether we realize it or not. So the first thing we tend to do is just kind of withdraw a little bit from others, from God, from church, from the Bible, we withdraw. Get a little apathetic, maybe get a little numb. This is our natural inclination. So just know this, your natural inclination is not to stop and think about your soul. Your natural inclination is not to go and pursue the Lord. Your natural fleshly sinful inclination is just to, to withdraw. But what I wanna tell you is the way in which we fight is that we do the opposite. 
You go harder after God at those moments when it feels like God has done something to you that is not right, when he has hurt you, when someone else has hurt you, when everything in you wants to say, I'm ready to give up. No, you go harder after God. That's the whole point of that first verse. When he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God. When he says, I'm thirsty, something's not right in here. It's dry in here. I'm panting, like I'm barely making it, God. What does he do? Well, he goes after God because he realizes this. Listen, verse two. My soul thirsts for God. What's the thirst? It's God. What your soul needs is God. You can't ignore God and your soul be right. So the psalmist says, I'm just gonna go after God. When I feel like doing everything else, I'm gonna go after him. I love, look at verse, chapter 42, verse seven. Look at this. Deep calls to deep, meaning things keep getting piled on is what that means. At the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I was stopped by the, the word your three times. So what David, the psalmist here is saying is, God, these waterfalls that are coming over me, all these things, these are your things. Like somehow, God, you are the one who is allowing all these circumstances to seemingly overtake me. And here's the reason. I said this on Wednesday night two weeks ago, is that every disruption in your life coming to you from a sovereign God, every disruption, a little irritation, something in the traffic, a diagnosis, a death, a separation, every disruption is an invitation. It's God saying, come here, I've got something for you. Every disruption. And when those disruptions come, what do you do? Well, instead of just being overwhelmed by the disruptions, you go after God. His thirst that he feels at the beginning of 42 is an invitation to come and drink. So what does he do? Well, he sings when he doesn't feel like it. I had someone come to me after the first service and they were talking to him at a season in their life that I knew very well. They said all through the night, in the darkest moment they've ever had in their lives, they just put on music and just tried to sing. You, you know what that guy was doing? He was clawing his way out. And he says this. He, he says that by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He says in chapter 43, verses Three and four, he says, send out your light and your truth. God, I need your truth. I need your light. I wanna be led by you. I wanna go to your holy hill, to your dwelling. I'm gonna go to the altar of my God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you. So in other words, instead of wallowing in despair, instead of walking around in self-pity, you go the other way and you run and grab hold of God because you know that the only thing that will ever quench the thirst of your soul is God himself. So when everything feels like going the other way, don't do it, step by step, sing the songs, hear the sermons, read the Bible, and go after God. So we stop, we ask, God, what's going on? I don't wanna ignore this. God, I'm gonna go after you, I'm gonna pursue you because if it's a soul problem, you're the only answer. And the last one is this. The last practical way that we claw ourselves out is this. We preach to ourselves. We preach to ourselves. So we stop and ask, we go after God, and we preach to ourselves. Now, look at verse five with me, okay? This is repeated three times. This is the chorus of the song. He says this, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Who is he talking to? Answer, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to himself. He's saying, hey, soul, something's not right. 
What's going on with you? What's your problem? Grabs his soul. Hey, I'm irritable. What's your problem? I'm grumpy. I'm angry. What's your, what's your problem? What's going on with you? This is coming from somewhere. What's going on with you? Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you so anxious? Where's all this stuff coming from? And he begins to then remind himself what's true. So he's saying, this is how I feel. You're, you're, you're disgruntled, you're grumpy, you're irritable. And then he says this to himself, hope in God. In other words, be confident, soul. Trust the Lord. Stop thinking this way. The best is yet to come. This is a season, this season is going to enter into another season. It's not always gonna be like this. Look at what he says. I will again praise him, my salvation of my God. Meaning this, I'm not really praising him right now. I'm trying, but I'm not. I'm gonna do it again. So I know how you're feeling, but stop. Put your hope in God, because this is, by the way, this is what happens. This is Josh coming home from work. Me, 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 me. You stop, take out your soul, look at it, preach to it, and then all of a sudden, wait, instead of me, why don't I think about the Lord and put my hope in the Lord? And this is what happens when we begin to preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves of the truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones um, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. He makes the difference, distinction between a clinical depression that seems to be a thing of the mind that often needs different help and a spiritual depression, a depression of the soul. And he says when it comes to spiritual depression, look at, look at what he says. He says that you begin to preach to yourself. Listen carefully. He says, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. You gotta take yourself in the hand. You have to address yourself and preach to yourself and question yourself. This self of ours, this other man within us has got to be handled. Don't listen to him. Turn to him. Speak to him, condemn him, upbraid him, exhort him, encourage him. Remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. So instead of just standing there and taking it, lie, 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 letting your soul be constantly bombarded, you stop and you take your soul and you tell yourself the truth. You preach to yourself. You're always getting a message. What he's saying is this, take your soul and preach to your soul the truth. You say, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you what it looks like as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It looks like recognizing the difficulty of your soul, acknowledging the moment, stopping listening, writing, journaling, expressing out loud, trying to figure out what's going on, and then when that heaviness begins to sit in our soul, we remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I try to tell you all the time, the gospel is not just that which you have to believe to get to heaven. The gospel is that which you have to believe every day to make it. You take your soul and you say, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part with the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You remind yourself that your sin has been taken care of. You grab your soul and you take it to Ephesians 1 where it says this, you have been united by faith with Jesus Christ. You are adopted, you are loved, you are redeemed. You are an heir of all of the promises of God. You are chosen before the foundation of the world and you will inherit all of the promises of God. You take yourself to Romans 8 and in that moment of condemnation, you say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say I am eternally loved and the God who saved me is the God who will preserve me and get me to the end. 
and you remind yourself that nothing in this life or in the life to come will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You take your soul and you preach the gospel to it. Say, soul, this is what is true. Remember what is true. I will once again praise him. Let me just ask you, are you thinking about your soul? Has your soul been brought to life by faith in Jesus Christ? Do you even have the capability of experiencing the joy and satisfaction of a relationship with God? Have you trusted Christ? If not, I'm begging you today, call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. Acknowledge your sin and let him save you. Some of you are just struggling with a little soul give up itis. You've not been fighting for the health of your soul and your soul is struggling. Let me plead with you for your sake, your family's sake, and everyone else's sake. Wage war, preach to yourself, put your hope in God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.